Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Well, welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, broadcasting live from Phoenix Radio X, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. This is the 23rd episode, and I'm here today with Adam Freed. How are you today, Adam? Hey, I'm great. Well, it's so good to see you. I feel honored. We're going to hear a lot more about Adam. Adam is a man of at least three lives, as we'll f- find out in a moment. But before I'm going to say anything about Adam, I want to say a little bit more about this podcast, as we always do at the beginning, because this podcast is called Rooted and Unwavering, because the intention here is to help us to help each other to become a bit more real and anchor in that realness, whatever is happening in our lives. And what I noticed is that there's so many impressions, so many things that are happening every day in our lives that are pulling us in different directions. And then when we're able to come back, you could say we come home to what is true about us, what we really are. You could say the the masks come off. There's a power that comes in line. And from that power, we're able to create things that are you could say more harmonious, more fun, more loving, more kinder, creative, the things that I believe this world needs. Now, I'm here today with Adam Freed, and Adam comes with us with tremendous heart. That's how I remember Adam as a person who is uber talented, has so much heart, and pours it out into everything that he does. And I'll give you a little bit of a sense of his background by the way, he is in Washington, D.C. right now. He'll tell you in a moment why. Um, hey, can I interrupt you? <laughs> yes. I mean, as we predicted, exactly on time. I'm going so, to sign a bill. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. So this is, I'm this is like case in, point. Case, in, case in point, where Adam is a, a husband and a father of two, and besides also being a manager, managing partner at GSV Ventures, he comes to us with so much experience besides signing bills for room service, which I apparently does very well. He was the CEO and board chair of Teachers Paid Teachers that was recently sold to IXL Learning. He helped grow the company to an annual reach of more than 75% of all K-12 teachers in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Before that, he was the COO of Etsy, I think we all know that, it's the artisanal goods purveyor. And he also led international product management and international sales operations at Google before, during, and after the IPO. Sure, there's lots of stories there. Before getting into the technology and education world, he had a completely different career. Maybe it's very related, we'll hear about this. He was a TV reporter and anchored in English and, of course, Japanese. He's the recipient of the Knight Fellowship and local uh, and a local got a local TV Emmy for his work. He also has an undergrad degree from Harvard in linguistics, and he has a master's degree from Yale, Yale Law School. And he is a Pahara Fellow at the Espen Institute. He speaks a few languages, 
actually 11. When I read that, I was like, did I read that correctly? Am I too jet lagged? Is this right? It's 11 languages, including Spanish, Finnish, Turkish, and Japanese. It doesn't only speak 11 languages, it also lived in 11 locales and in five countries around the world. He's a Brooklynite. He serves in the Brooklyn Children's Museum on the board. And he lives with his husband, Ken, and uh, their two children, and their dog, Tiki. I want to hear all about all of this, Adam. So before we try to make some sense out of this, because I can't at the moment. You can't make sense out of my career. You can just have fun with it. Well, that might be the sense then. So I want to hear more, since we're talking here about connectedness. Tell us a little bit about connectedness in your life. What does that look like? What does Adam or has Adam been connecting to throughout his life? Well, that's starting with a small and easy question. I think connectedness is the struggle of every of, of all of us every day. I certainly think that I wake up asking that question and I don't think I ever get to a complete answer. I know what matters to me in terms of connectedness today. It matters to me to stay connected. My husband and I joke that we have to put our marriage first, because when you have kids and you have a job, they will all take all your time. So you think about how do we connect to ourselves, myself first, then to each other, then with the kids to kind of create that unit. And then work is this support that sort of envelops us in all different ways. So I'm very much a workaholic and love my job, but I try to stay connected in that way. And then, you know, my job now particularly is to invest in uh, companies in the education and workforce space. And so I spend a lot of time talking with and trying to connect with founders and to understand not just what their vision is for their company and how they want to change the world, but what are their needs? Because I've certainly learned through my career that leadership is wonderful and dynamic and people write books about it and it's just hard as hell. And so I always say to founders that I'm working with, you know, how can I be the investor who you feel you can cry to and you don't have to dance for? So how can we stay connected so that you have that sense of safety that even though I'm investing in your company and or because I'm investing in your company, you feel that I'm the person you can come to and, and really just let it all hang out so we can connect to one another around the company and around human needs, which are often the drivers of far more than the, you know, the, the, the numbers alone in a company. So how's that for a long-winded thought? It starts it's starting to make sense to me, Adam, uh, meaning your life, given what you've just said. I want to start with this piece, first piece that you mentioned about your layers, like almost like the Russian dolls, the, and starting with Adam and then Ken and Adam and then Ken Adam and, and the kids and Kiki, I'm sure, and then the support of the work. How do you and how have you learned to connect to yourself? I mean, when I was reviewing your resume, right, you, you've been in very hectic, high-pressured, highly visible situations all the time. So how does Adam work with this, staying connected to him in the midst of all that? I mean, I started out when I was younger by not being connected to me. I think I started out by being the opposite of connected to me. I think that I looked for ways to avoid myself and to connect to external symbols of structure and safety 
as a proxy for real connectedness. I worked hard to go to a top college. I worked hard to get into companies that had big name brands, you know, NHK, NBC, Google, Etsy. I wanted to be associated with things that I could anchor to. And that provided me, I think, an incredibly false sense of security. It probably created a lot of anxiety for me. And what I learned really when I, I woke up around my 40th birthday, I know it's hard to imagine that I'm 55, but I am. I'm kidding. I think I look 28, old. 28. Yes. Yeah, no, no, no. yeah. Listen, as my good friend Cheryl says, uh, often she lost her husband at a young age and uh, she says, listen, you, you have two options in life. You can get older or not. Uh, and so I choose getting older happily. But at, at about age 40, I looked up and said, you know, my, I am not connected to self. I am connected to friends and family who I love, but I don't have a family of my own. And I think that I have organized things in a way that is not serving me and my humanity well. Mm. So I kind of quit everything. I, I got in the car and I lived in California. I drove to New York with my dog and a guitar I couldn't play and a cowboy hat I looked ridiculous in. And I just said, you know, I need to, this is rooted and connected. I decided I needed to sort of uproot and disconnect. Mm-hmm. with the intention of connecting to something deeper. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of in that, in that time period that I actually met my, my now husband, who was a New Yorker, which is why I'm now happily living in Brooklyn, and started a journey toward greater connectedness. Um, sometimes been things you'd expect like yoga or meditation, but sometimes I think is really just about having a, a rubric, a decision-making matrix mm-hmm. that you can use in life. Uh, I learned in running companies that I needed to have a clear understanding of what the strategy was that we were trying to achieve so that when I had to make the day-to-day decisions with the company, I could make the right decisions. I could make ones that were in service of something greater. And so what I try to do, and I, I fail more than I succeed, is to do the same thing in my life. And so the, one, of those, one of those rubrics is on your oxygen mask before you put on anyone else's and what does that require in terms of taking care of your health and your sleep and your having moments for self how do i stay connected to ken who is the co-anchor of the world that we are building it together and that we share and he he is the sun and the moon and the stars to me i feel so lucky to have found true love uh 15 years now into this relationship Uh, Then our kids who are amazing and wonderful and enlivening. And I think it's very easy to connect to the kids' needs without connecting via yourself. And then you're sort of half there for them all the time instead of being fully there for them when they need you to be. So that's the attempt. And then work, you know, work work has an energy of its own. It always finds its way in. I never have, you know, so that's, that's the heuristic. That's the rubric. That's the rubric. That's the rubric. Let's go back for a second to almost cowboy hat Adam as you were about to jump into that car. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Like what was going on with Adam and how did you make these decisions? I'm I'm listening to it because I'm sensing many of us go through those kinds of life changes or maybe we dream about them and we don't dare to do them, or we're forced into them, uh, or something else that happens. I'm curious about what happened with you. Yeah, I mean, there's something called transformational learning theory, which is this idea that, you know, we really learn things when we have to, not when we want to. 
and that for all of our attempts to find our better selves, what really, what really motivates us at some level is, is life giving us a swift kick in the rear. And in my case, what happened was I was coming up on this big birthday and I looked around and I had been incredibly lucky by many external indicators. I had financial security coming out of you know Google. I had a house, I had a car, and I don't take any of those things for granted because there are many people who are struggling day in and day out. So knowing that I had that luxury, I looked around and I said, you know, am I living the values that I've, I've dreamed? You know, what I've always said was important to me was love and family and feeling respected and deeply engaged. And I was working hard and being external, you know, successful by some measures, but uh, my cup was kind of feeling empty. And so I didn't sort of chuck it all out the window because I felt like, I was doing something noble. I did it out of need. I did it out of pain. Ah. So was it painful or was it just a mental realization that said, huh, I want these things, love, belonging, my own family, all this stuff, and it's not happening. So decision point, let's go to New York. Or was, was, it, a, was it a different kind of learning experience for you? I think I started saying all the things about, you know, I know I need to, I want to be in a relationship. I want it to be different. I want this. I want that. I want the other. And it was, I, I, I want, 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 I, I, I want, want, want. And, and I had to sort of look, I mean, you do this when you're running a business too, you sort of look at the pattern and you have to say like, is the strategy when you're running a company, you say, if my product isn't selling, is it the product that customers want? Am I, am I in the right market in the right way? And so I kind of applied that to myself and I said, you know, the truth is I don't even know who I am right now. I don't even know. There's a wonderful uh, sort of to-do list rubric or sort of methodology, right? This idea that every day you should have a list of things that are important and a list of things that are urgent Mm -hmm. and that you should always focus on the important because the urgent will always come up at you, right? Mm -hmm. They will pull at you. And I don't think I knew how to connect what was on my important list with anything in my day to day. And so all I could think to do was sort of chuck it out the window, um, particularly because I had the ability financially to do that, which I don't think, you know, and again, I don't take for granted. I think it was right. incredible. Right. Good fortune. Yes, yes, yes. So, so you made space because you chucked it out of the window. You basically literally changed places. What was the what was what was the draw to go to New York from the beautiful West Coast? Well, isn't that where everyone goes to get connected emotionally and spiritually? Why would you go to a mountain in Montana when you can go and sit in the middle of Soho in Manhattan? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I had friends there. Excuse me. I was living in San Francisco. San Francisco was a foggy summer. I wanted to go someplace where the summer was hot, and I just, I it just felt like a fun place to go hang out with friends. So. I also knew that I was trying, I needed connection to others. And so, and I needed as well as connection to myself. So if I connected only to myself, um, thinking that I could control all the variables of my life, that, that at that moment in time, wasn't the right thing for me. I needed to be with people, with friends who I'd, I'd known from college days and high school days who would hold me accountable and be true to me. And uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So how did, uh, more Adam realness start permeate, start permeating Adam because you were, at least as I understand it, very much your attention was grabbed by this 
external things, which I think for many people is understandable, definitely something that I have lived and is familiar to me. So then you are in this space in between. How did parts of Adam, the real Adam, start to seep in? Or how did you acquaint yourself with who Adam is? I think it's such a, a quest that so many of us have. Like, how do we how do we do this? How did you do that? Or how are you doing that? At this beautiful moment, I'm going to now respond to housekeeping in my room. Hi, can, do you mind coming back in about an hour? Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, yes. So uh, I'm just trying to prove to you that I'm really in a hotel. Um, so I, I do. I do want you to share in a moment why you're in this hotel. Sure. But before we get there, I need to know a little bit more about. How did how did Adam get to the foreground, the real one? I, I mean, I think I think as I think as I said at the beginning, I think it's a it's a it's a daily struggle. I think uh, or a daily challenge, uh, if you want to be more American about it, or really American and call it a daily opportunity. How how would so, you say it in Japanese Japanese culture? Oh, I don't know. I'm not Japanese. Japanese culture is is deep and long and beautiful, and I'm not sure I could get it right. But I just meant sort of that Americans are always trying to find this sort of positive la-la spin on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that happened was fairly soon after getting to New York, I fell in love. I met my husband and I remember after the first or second time we met, I was talking to my best friend and I said, this is either going to work or I think I'm done. He was like, what, what does that mean? And I said, I just, I, I, I'm not driving the bus for myself emotionally. He is, Ken is, he's, engages me differently. He's smarter. He's, and so he's smarter. He's emotionally connected and engaging. He's intense. And he, and we were from the start, it was, there was just a, a magic that I never expected to experience. But I think that could only emerge probably because I had decided that I was going to embrace some vulnerability. Oh, yes. um, and so he, that really rocked my world to be like, I'm not, it turns out that the control that I've been trying to main and manage in my life is just a, is just nonsense, just crap. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that, what matters is waking up, actually recognizing how little control you have and deciding what you want to do with that. And I think that was the beginning of a, of a, of a deeper journey um, of openness and of vulnerability and of excitement and fear and pain and all those things. Yeah, when. When you start to let go of control, like start to let go of control, there's this moment of vulnerability or moments of vulnerability. And that's where some of the realness lives, sounds like, from what you're saying, allowing that to happen. And, and that's not something you can script. It just happens, seems like. It's an interesting dance. And, and Ken is, has been and looks like has been, is continuing to help you with that, to be that. Yeah, we we absolutely, and you know, he also has a very high-powered job. He runs Brooks Brothers, the clothing company, and we spend a lot of time sort of coming back to the safety of one another and saying, you know, there's a lot of madness in the world that we live in, and, and how do we sort of constantly re-anchor? And I think it's also about recognizing that that you never learn to feel safe or comfortable in that. That every day you wake up wanting to figure out what the work of the day is, and some days you do a good job, and some days you do a really crummy job and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do you carry it forward and how do you in our case then i mean you know anyone who's joining us virtually you know uh, who has kids especially will know that there is very little i think they, i could never have imagined the degree of vulnerability and fear and excitement all at once that i would experience by having kids and thinking i am 
solely responsible for creating safety in their world. And at the exact same time, I can't, if I hold, I have to hold them close enough that they always feel loved and safe and, and not so close that they can't be the individual and amazing humans that they are trying to become. And how do you find that balance? And that balance challenges me every day. That's so beautiful. Can you say a bit more about that? Like, how does that work? There was a moment when our, one of my sons, so I'll tell you a couple of stories. So one was, again, I had always been a very kind of controlled person, I think, partly because being gay, I learned to compartmentalize my life at a very young age. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt different. I acted different. My desires clearly were different than what society wanted of me. And I came out in 1993, 1992, 93. So it wasn't foregone conclusion that I would have an easy life by any stretch of the imagination. It was a scary time. AIDS was still very scary. Um, we didn't have as nearly as many rights as we do today. Um, we still, by the way, have a lot of work to do. It's Pride Month right now and a lot of work to do. I, I met my husband. We got married. We uh, had to have two wonderful kids. And, and after the kids were born, I think for the first month or so, after we got back to our apartment, I would go up on the roof every night at about three o'clock in the morning and cry. I think I wasn't prepared for how much I had always wanted to be a parent and how much pressure that created to sort of want to be a, the parent that they needed me to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and it was a, it was a worry of, of, of all the things that could happen in their world. And, and what was I going to do about the reality that I could, only do everything I could to make them safe, but that there was this balance. And and the story I was then going to tell was when one of our sons was about, I would say 18 months, 20 months old, something like that. They're 11 years old today. One of them was trying to get a foot up on the couch. And he was like sort of doing this, you know, he's had his hands on the edge of the couch and his foot was trying to mm-hmm. throw himself onto the couch. And I, I started to reach out to lift him over. And he, he looked at me like, and I, and I, I interpreted this with an 18 month old who knows what he really meant, but it looked like, you know, give me a shot to get this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I thought, right, I'm going to sit right here and make sure that if you fall, I'll catch you, mm. but I'm not going to lift that leg or touch it for you. Mm. Do that. And then he did, it took him however many tries and he curled himself onto the couch and just beamed with joy and just joy just exploded out of his pores for that. And, and, I, and I think about that metaphor a lot um, in parenting and in leading organizations mm-hmm. well, that, you know, we all want to be the one who gets our own leg up over onto that couch and, and propels mm-hmm. ourselves where we're trying to go. And we all want to have somebody nearby that says, listen, we're going to let you fail, but not fall. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm quite mesmerized, actually. I'm just imagining what it felt like for your son to have that moment of trying and trying and trying and have his dad watch him being supported by that watchful eye and then being able to move from that place and find his balance. That's gorgeous. Just gorgeous to watch that. And how do you counterpoint story, by the way, on the opposite side. And and, uh, also with my, my kids, one of our kids was also, there's a sort of pegboard things where there's like star, the star and the sun and the moon and the circle and try to get them in the right Yes. Mold and shape the right way. Yes. So uh, one of our kids would, would take this circle and he would jam it into the, try to jam it into the square shaped hole. And he would do it once or twice. And then instead of stop stepping back, he would, he would bang it on this wrong place again and then clap for himself. 
And we were like, yeah, that's the opposite. Like, we're not going to clap back until you find the right hole because that's going to teach you a different lesson too. So there's just all this stuff. I mean, kids are this magical way of learning and understanding the human condition and, 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 and thinking about how to relate to one another. I totally get that. I totally get that. What was coming up for me was, so how do you provide that safe yet challenging context for the people that now are your investees, you know, as you were at GSV Partners, is that as GSV Ventures, and you said that I want to be the person that you don't dance for, but you cry with, but at the same time, you're not a therapy group, you know, you're investing. So That's right. How does that work? How do you bring that energy? Maybe give an example if there's something that comes to mind. Well, I think think what I say to CEOs again and again and again is, I've done this role. There are no easy days. There are exciting days. There are frustrating days. um, But there are no easy days. Let's just acknowledge that. And, and we, we are aligned in our goals and in our purpose, right? Our alignment is we want this company to achieve its mission. Mm-hmm. And we invest in for-profit enterprises, obviously, so that part of that mission is to achieve value, to create value. But we're also investing in a space where it's not just selling widgets. I mean, educational company, education companies, are, they're hard. And you're always holding a double bottom line. So, and you're always weighing trade-offs. If I, should I hold truer to course to achieve what I think will be a better outcome for the student? Should I succumb to pressure if I feel like it to sort of cut corners in places? Mm-hmm. Those are rarely conversations that haven't happen overtly. But I want the entrepreneurs to know a couple of things all the time. One of them is, If you're building something that is of quality, if you are delivering on the promise that you are making to your customers, your students, Mm -hmm. that is always going to be the better financial outcome with almost no, short term, you can always, you can always cut a corner and and, and cheat something in it, it, but long term that will blow up on you again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want them to know that I know that. I want them to know that every day is, I know that every day is a, I, I, the other thing I also say is, uh, you know, Cessna 172s, those like little airplanes that, you know, yeah, yeah. play in like the fixed wing over. Uh-huh. So I, I say, you know, I feel like running a company, running a startup is like flying in a Cessna 172 every day, right? There is no IFR. You don't know what the terrain is going to be like. You don't know what the weather is going to be like. You know, you're like, and and so every day you just have to be ready for anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I want them to know that that I'm there and that, the great, there are no great companies that have been built without hard times. There are no great learning experiences. Human beings have never learned anything important without going through some painful journey along the way. And we are in the space where we invest in people building companies that help people learn and grow. So there's going to be a lot of tension in all that. And I just want them to know that I know that. And let's talk about it. We're getting almost to a break. I'm struck in this conversation with you, Adam, about how clear you are, even when you are not clear, about listening to what's important. Because you let that guide. And I'm imagining coming out as a gay person in the early 90s, you listened. You could have not done that. 
at least some people do that. I know that some people do that. I did that for a while. And then you listened and you took the cowboy hat and the car to New York. You listened. And when I hear you talk about your kids and your husband and how you work with investors, it strikes me you're very clear about what's important, your rubric, your inner rubrics. That's already something I'm taking away from our conversation today, Adam. We're going to take a break in a moment. We're going to bring in a conversation with, with Adam Fried. He's the currently managing partner after many lives and concurrently living many lives. He's managing partner at GSV Ventures. You've been listening to Ruth and Wavering. I'm going to come back in about 30 seconds. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. So Adam and listeners, welcome back. I'm struck by how you're choosing your fields of attention, what you give attention to. And just before we got on the show, you explained to me why you're in this hotel room in Washington, D.C. So maybe say a little bit about that and maybe relate a little bit of the conversation we just had before this podcast about hope and also challenge. And and I'm curious to hear from you what you do with that, given your rubrics. Putting the pedal to the metal. So I'm in D.C. At, uh, we were invited to come down for a pride celebration at the White House. And we have a couple of friends who are still in the hotel that housekeeping seems to want to ring more times. And so I'm going to just ignore that doorbell if you hear it in the background. I'm in D.C. because we, we came for this pride celebration. There's a smoke condition in, in the area right now. So they postponed that. But we had a chance with uh, my husband and kids to meet up with uh, some representatives and get a bit of a tour of the Capitol. We got to go into the White House. Um, so that was really exciting. And it was wonderful to reconnect to the sort of the hope and the possibility of democracy here and also recognize that we have a lot of work to do as a society to get ourselves back in some kind of, some kind of alignment, even in all the ways that we can disagree. Yes, yes. And this struck by the smoke, which to me, my personal opinion has something to do with us being out of alignment in society. I uh, may be wrong with that. So, you know, you're 55. How do you choose education as one area that you seem to focus on? How do you choose to not get engaged with other things? I mean, you're such a talented man, Adam. I could see you, you know, becoming president of the United States if you wanted to. My sense, looking at your life, you know, you've had three, four, five lives. You could have probably another seven or eight before the time your your body decides bye-bye. You know, so so tell us about how you choose what you serve or you put, put your attention on. I don't think that I'm great at leaning forward into those kinds of choices. I don't think that I'm a person who has ever chosen careers. Can I say how funny the joke is? So we have adjoining rooms because we're here with our kids. Now they're doing the same thing in the next room. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think that I'm a person who's really ever had a sense that I wanted to be X or Y. But there's, I think at my age now and stage of career, I can look back and realize that there are or some things that have always been really important to me, whether I knew it or not. 
And then the nice thing about getting older is you kind of can look backwards and say like, can I make a pattern out of this set of choices that I've made along the way? And I think in my case, what's really been important is helping people lead more empowered lives. Uh, I started out as a reporter. I, I believed in the idea that journalism was meant to, you know, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted and felt like we were actually afflicting the afflicted and comforting the comfortable more than anything. And I didn't really want to be a part of that anymore. And I went back to grad school and tried to figure out what was next and got lucky and landed at Google and realized that information was going to flow differently in our society and that that was exciting and created new possibilities. And then similarly at Etsy and joining Etsy thought, you know, here's a, here's a, here are artisans who are making things and need a platform to sort of remove the middleman or meet the markets. And, and, mm. and it was good for people buying and good for people selling. And, and then even Teachers Pay Teachers, similarly, is a, is a marketplace where teachers who create the most incredible content. If you remember your best ever teacher, it was always someone who pulled out that, in my case, Mimeo sheet, right? (laughs) Now it's just a digital activity uh, that they created themselves. And it didn't come out of some sort of textbook, usually. It was something that brought the learning to life. And Teachers Pay Teachers was a, a place where all those great activities could be created from teacher to teacher. They could sell to one another. They could create curriculum for one another, which is why 75, I think it's actually now something like 85% of American teachers use TPT every year. Also, because we we said that if you want to sell on the platform, you have to make something available for free too. Uh, we wanted to make sure that there was always this, this ability for everyone to get access and that any, any dollar spent was a dollar well spent. Uh, that, that was the goal. So, and I think similarly, just even even in, in venture capital, I mean, we're, we're we're investing in companies that are trying to help people lead more empowered lives. And, and if you sort of thread together this moment that we're in, I think a huge amount of the societal anxiety that we're seeing everywhere. I mean, and I think it is pretty much everywhere. I mean, it's it's in the U.S. certainly, but I used to live in Turkey. I mean, Turkey has gone through; it continues to go through. There's another election, a lot of complexity. Uh, most societies are going through some. Pretty, complexity right now. AI is suddenly simultaneously wonderful and scary and terrifying and possible and all yeah. these things. Yeah. So I think in this moment, we need people to feel like they can lean on education. And I don't by that mean necessarily the traditional systems of education that were designed to help you know farmers become literate uh, and become members of the Industrial Revolution 130 years ago, uh, but rather on demand reasonably priced, uh, highly effective, personalized approaches to learning and growing your skill set to keep evolving with this very fast changing world. And so I think that's the through line is, you know, people sort of leading more our lives. Yes. I also hear in that, Adam, there's such a joy in finding your place of where to contribute. And education at least in my experience, has given me that. Like, oh, that, ah, that, that's what I can do. That's how I fell into this work of, of coaching. And I was became a monk at some point, and I was looking at the, the monk who's sitting in the front and saying all these things, like, yeah, I want that. I, I was distinctly like, oh, I want that. And then the rest of the world becomes very quiet around me. It can, it can be like raining, hailing, bombs, not whatever. Of course, these things have an impact, but they make less of an impact because 
there's something in me that knows I'm going to sing this song. This is what I'm going to do. And when I hear you and what you do with, what they did with Teachers Pay Teachers and what you do with GSV is that, that education can help people find hope because they find more about themselves and find the wherewithal to do it and not be stuck in this, in the Netherlands, so I'm using a Dutch word, broadwurst machine, like the sausage maker, becoming something that in our heart of hearts, we don't want to make become anyway. So it doesn't serve anymore. And many people know that. So that's what I heard when I see you sort of leaning into this, this question. Mm-hmm. So you were thinking something, please share. No, I'm always thinking something. I think in some ways I was thinking, um, I've watched so many of those inspirational graduation speeches and interviews with people talking about their careers and their lives. And, and I find them to be very energizing and terrifying at the same time. Mm. And what I was thinking was actually just when you're at a career pivot moment or a moment of fear or worry or whatever, and I think we're all in many ways in those moments, you know, how can you just lean into something? Just start doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, what I was thinking about was that the, the one thing I have felt very lucky about is that, you know, I, I easily fall into a pattern of, you know, construct all the variables in my mind and, it, you know, like build a little world that makes sense to myself. You know, when I was a little kid, I would, I invented little governments for myself and, you know, with my squeezy koala bears, like I had, you know, Barania was the country and we, you know, had very just, justice system and everything worked. In truth, that's not what life's about. And that you probably can't think your way into figuring out what your passion is going to be. Mm. You have to do your way into it. And I think they, I, I talked to so many people who are just graduating college now and they're looking at what is the economy going to be? For 15 years, we told everybody, go, to, go into computer science and be an engineer. And now suddenly GPT may do the engineering for us. Mm. So what can you really lean into? And I think what you have to always lean into is I will always, if I always feel a little bit scared and a little uncomfortable and a little excited and a lot curious and I keep just trying stuff, it will be okay. A little bit scared, scared, a little bit curious, a lot, a lot curious. You said a little bit scared, a lot, a lot curious, a lot curious. That That's what I hear from your story. Also a lot curious, that sense of like, yeah. I'm going to lean into this in this very ambivalent time. In a sense, I'm thinking about your, your car ride to New York, which was in many ways very uncertain. I think many people are feeling psychologically in that space right now. like, Or wanting to get in the car and not quite sure that I'm willing to do it because I'm not sure what's on the other side or opening ourselves up to that. Now, what would you say to a person that is feeling the inner rumblings. Yeah, I'm doing something. They may be like Adam just before 40. Part of their voices are like, yeah, nah, I'm not ready. It's it's too hard. It's too scary. I can, I know this, but I don't know. I I don't trust the unknown. I I just don't trust it. And and granted, Adam, you did have a huge benefit was which was financial security, which many people don't have. That's right. So what would you say to, especially those people, and this is a hard question, that don't have that financial security and yet they have this inner rumblings of something has to change. What do you say to them? Well, first, you have to honor the feeling. 
you can't put it away. It's not going to go away. You're not going to talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of this is about understanding who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. So some people are, I call it hyper biased to action or biased to hyper action or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, where, where, you know, as soon as they have a feeling that they have to do something with it. Yeah. <laughs> that may not be the right answer because, and, and by the way, as an, as, as an employer, uh, you know, I'll see these resumes that are like eight months, 12 months, 18 months, eight months, two years. And I think that person is, they are dealing with difficulty or complexity or pain, pain or fear by popping and running. And that's not, that's what's the old saying, no matter where you go, there you are. They're, they're yes. just going to keep finding themselves in the same yeah. conundrum again and again and again. Yeah, yeah. So at the same time, there are people who are terrified of action and will sit for an unnaturally long time in discomfort. Um, so I think some of this is who you are, just being really frank and honest and figuring out also what's possible. Because most people will not find themselves in a position where they've just come through an IPO or whatever else. Um, those decisions are hard and come with costs. And if you have kids at home and if you have people relying on you, there are real costs to making changes. So one thing I encourage people to do is, there, there, I'm sort of thinking of two or three things at the same time. One thing I encourage people to do is, because you need to do something with that feeling. You, have, you can't just, you have to put it into something. And so one yeah. of the things I say to people is, go through your calendar for the last month and notate every activity and your personal and your professional calendar. Notate every activity that brought energy to you. Mm-hmm. Notate every activity that drained energy from you. Mm-hmm. And see if you can figure out from that what you can distill about where your leanings are. People often will report back that that's a very helpful activity. You know? and, and then sit with someone you trust and say, here's what I'm discovering. Here's what I'm seeing. You know, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you see me? And then take the energy from the first, the feeling, and then you know, doing a little bit of this kind of disassembling work, thinking it through work. And then ask yourself, what one variable in my life could I change right now? Mm-hmm. It's often not the right. And in my case, I, I chucked it all. But, but, when you look at it, but when you look at it, there was very little at risk for me. You know, I had financial security. I wasn't leaving kids in the lurch. I wasn't leaving a spouse in the lurch. I was, I was running into open space, hoping to find things, not, not really giving anything up. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. That little exercise you suggested of look at your calendar and look at what gives you energy and what takes away, and then do an assessment at the end. That that really appeals to me. And, I know this conversation is giving me energy. So that I would put that on my crown. It's like, yeah, I like doing this. This is this is good. And I also like that you are pulling us off the cliff of grandiosity, right? Because we all want this big story. And that is going to be the next next Netflix series. Like Adam goes to New York. You know, that's going to be my next series that I'm going to make. No, just kidding, right? We always want we want these big things. And what you're saying is, look at one variable. Look at one variable. So let me put this question to you, right? Since you gave you gave us the question. Thinking about, since you've been talking about connectedness, and if you were just doing in the back of your mind this assessment, 
which I don't think is a static assessment, it's a dynamic assessment that we're always in, right? I think life is always tuning us to become more and more and more aligned to what's true about us. And I see this with some old people that are like so radiant, like they're like, you just want to, well, just be in awe with them. Just, I just sometimes into, into tears when I see an old person just so deeply aligned, so deeply carved by life into alignment, you know? So I think that sort of continuous, gentle, or sometimes fierce assessment of like, ha, huh, this way, this way, my love, this way, this way, this way, this way. So what would be something in your life that you say, yeah, that might be a variable that I could adjust if I want to create even more alignment in my life? Because from what you've told me, Ken, Adam, like I say Ken because it seems like there's such much, so much unity between you guys. There's already so much there. But if there was something, what would it be? Oh, there's always something. There's, there's always something. I mean, I, I spend most of my day trying, how, trying to figure out how to do better at everything. I mean, I think, I mean, I feel it's a, it's a good question. I mean, there are many moments in my life where I think I could have told you, here's what I need to change, right? And, and, and my career is one of making those changes. Right now, I, 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 I guess I ask the question in a, in a slightly different way. Because in the moment, I feel quite comfortable in my life. I ask myself how to make sure that that comfort doesn't become complacency. Mm. Uh, and I don't think I'm very predisposed to complacency, so it's probably not a really big worry. But, um, you know, maybe I should get your advice on this. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about is I love... I'm not sure giving advice is the right thing, I, I, but I love listening to founders and, and friends and people on their journeys and trying to see if I can hear something that I can reflect back to them in a helpful way. And then I've started to see patterns over time. And I'm trying to figure out through my seat as an investor and in this important space, how I can share more of the things that I've learned from these people I've gotten to work with Yes. Uh, and so, you know, maybe you can give me advice, but that's a place that I, I feel very uncomfortable doing social media stuff. And, and uh, I never want to be pushy. I kind of want to yeah. be helpful. So that's a place where I, I, that's, that's a variable I've been thinking about a lot in my life. And I know, I know that I am a little too comfortable. I have more that I feel like I can and should offer back and I need to figure out how to do. That's a beautiful question. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is to me sharing wisdom has a lot to do with asking questions because it's like in this age you can google basically anything everything yeah right even like what is enlightenment google ask ai to tell you about how to get alignment in your you know right i don't think it's we're getting to an age or a season in humanity where Words are still very important. They, they carry energy. They help us. They, they, they help us lift, uplift us. But the more subtle form of helping each other, which you point to when you talked about being vulnerable with your kids and being in the space in between, it's being very intentional about creating a space of in-betweenness where you can be in the question with the people that you are intending to help where there's no, not so much of an agenda. You know, every, because, you know, yeah, that, that's, 
I, that's what I sense when you were when when I he, listen to you, and I I may be totally I may be totally off. I, for for me, I have a personal desire. I would love leaders in the world that were talking a lot less and that would be saying a lot more. Uh, I don't know yet. The challenge we are facing right now is so unknown. I have some ideas. You need to tell me about this. Well, let's 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 go into a conversation about it, and then we'll we'll figure it out. How does I think that one of the things it feels like it's happening in our society that I think about a lot is you know we were talking about rubrics and heuristics at the beginning of this conversation, and I don't feel like I'm hearing voices say, "Here's our north star." You know, here's the north star. That's not a a fear-based North Star, and it's not a excluding North Star, um, but is one that says, you know, this is this is what a vision of the future could look like. And maybe there are just so many variables changing so quickly, nobody can really paint that picture in a way that feels credible. Yeah, but I certainly yearn for some of that. That sounds like maybe part of the next variable that you can work with. Because if you have that yearning, you're absolutely going to be connected to other people that have that yearning as well thinking about that and give voice to it give voice to it and we get towards the the last few minutes of this conversation that flew by in washington dc for you and the north of the netherlands where i was born for for me what might be a closing reflection as you think about this conversation something you may want to say share or leave behind or a question you want to ask what is it that you would like to say? Well, I think the first thing I just want to say is thank you. I mean, this has been a wonderful time talking to you. It's always great talking to you. And it's uh, it's felt like a bit of a talking meditation. I think I def- I'm walking away from this thinking that you've pushed me in subtle and impressive ways. And I, and I appreciate that, even as you were ostensibly letting me talk about uh, what I might share about myself. So I want to think about that. I want to think about a bunch of things that came up here. I'm not sure that I have any, to your point, the best advice is kind of the question you hear, you need to ask someone as opposed to the thing that you tell them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, maybe I can throw it back to you and say, what, what have you found to be most helpful for people who are joining you in this, in this podcast and video world? Are people look, looking to apply things for them, their own yeah. lives? Yeah. To me, the reason I show up every two weeks is because there's one question guides everything for me. And that's what's most important to you. Right. Not what you think is most important, what we've been told is most important, what your emotions say is most important, but deep down, gutturally in your bones is most important. And we all know that and we're all carving ourselves there. So sitting with you today, Adam, I really got a lot about being clear about your inner rubric and that being a dynamic and vulnerable place. It's, it's, it, was, it was very interesting for me to have that image of your son and the leg and the couch. I learned something quite important today that from my fear, I want to know that the person is getting the leg up the couch in the time that I have in mind. And the hardest lesson for me is to, to stay and, and honor the moment and honor where the person is. And that may be my, good, my greatest service. You know, when I think about investors crying on your shoulder, metaphorically or literally, you know, providing that space. And that's such a rare thing to come by because my ego is always in a rush for some kind of image I'm going to try to pursue and make happen. Yeah. 
So. I think you're pushing me to think, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about, and maybe you can give me advice or if others who are listening and have had the patience to suffer me for, uh, for an hour are willing to share advice I would love to hear from is, you know, how can we, I'm at, I'm at a stage in my career where I get to be the one sitting on the couch a bit. I see young people around me in the companies that we invest in and in, and not just young people, like lots of people. I have 80-year-old relatives who are forging new paths all the time. The question I ask myself and what's important to me is how can I create, how can I take the comfort and the safety that I've been so blessed to have in this moment, acknowledge that it's probably fleeting, that sad and bad things will certainly happen around any corner and I have to be ready for those, but, but, but how can I keep building around myself community support and love that will help me in those moments? How can I, much more importantly than that in this moment, keep helping to create community for others and create that sense that, hey, there are those of us who've now made it far enough that we can sit on the couch and we can look at you and say, feel free to fail, but I won't let you fall too far. Yeah. Get in there, try to get that leg on the couch. <laughs> if, you take that, if you take that metaphor out of context, it's just a terrible metaphor, but so I hope people listen to the whole story. <laughs> I love it. For the, the image that came to me as I was thinking what you're saying is being a very confident grandfather. You know, no, you really made me older. I'm sorry, Adam, but that's, that's okay. That there's, my, there's, I'm not ready to be a grandfather yet. My kids are only 11, but metaphorically, I'm happy to be one. So this, 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 this sort of energy of I'm going to be here. It's not about me. I've seen things that you've been through. Uh, I'm here to support you. Uh, uh, I'll be here. And push you. And yes, yes, yes. Like, Go ahead. Don't walk. You know, some kids will walk away from me and not and try to, you know, not follow it through. So get in there, tr try things, change one variable at a time, ask yourself hard questions, push yourself. And at the same time, you know, make sure that you, you're in an environment where you're only going to fall so far. Thank you, Adam. I could easily talk hours with you. So thank you so much for, for being with us today, Adam. It was a true honor uh, and blessing. I feel I'm going to go into the weekend with this question about what is my rubric and how do I dare to be vulnerable in leading into it and letting some new insights emerge and act on them, not knowing what's going to happen next. That was, uh, that was something I'm going to take away. So you've been listening to a conversation with Adam Freed, who is the managing partner of GSV Ventures, which is a venture capital firm, has lived many lives, speaks 11 languages, and has had so much wisdom to share today about really leaning. I hope that you, if you listened, you, you heard something that has you become more grounded and more vulnerable in being grounded and sharing that and creating people, uh, creating a space around you. Next time, we'll be here with a Dutch leader Kees Buisman, who is the uh, professor at uh, University of Wageningen in the Netherlands, and he's also the leader, one of the leaders of VETSIS, which is a water technology master's degree program in the north of the Netherlands. He also is a minister, and his motto is being integral and radiate. So I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. If you like these podcasts, please subscribe to them at Apple or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts or listen to us on LinkedIn. And of course, you can always connect to Adam on LinkedIn, Adam Freed on LinkedIn or myself. And uh, I think that's it for now. So 
let's close it for today. I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day wherever you are. And uh, you've been listening to Root and Wavering, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. And your host, Hilke Farber. See you next time. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilke Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilke's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.